when you're comfortable, that's a really good feeling, but there's also a risk to that. And so the more that you kind of make yourself a little uncomfortable and maybe take on something that you don't necessarily think you can do, but you know you have some knowledge to do it, you know, I think that's a really good place to be. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. That's Kate Ward, the editor-in-chief of the Bustle Digital Group, where she oversees a roster of major online publications, including Romper, Elite Daily, and Mike. Another one of its outlets is, of course, Bustle, a site aimed at smart, ambitious young women and which Ward herself helped get off the ground back when it was a small startup based out of a Brooklyn apartment. Oh my God, I miss so much about those early days. I converted my office actually to be only couches because I miss those early days where we'd work off of only couches so I don't have a desk. And when I had a desk, it just felt very weird and uncomfortable. Now, that small startup is a major media company with hundreds of employees and more than 80 million unique viewers every month. And they're continuing to expand and innovate, something Ward credits to the same curiosity and drive that led her initial successes in online publishing back in her early 20s. You know, I recognized that I was able to get a really cool opportunity from doing something that was unconventional. So continuing to do the unconventional thing sort of became a little bit more of, uh, you know, my MO from there. And now, here's my conversation with Kate Ward. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, For our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar, can you walk us through Bustle and what it is you do? Totally. So uh, thanks for having me here, by the way. So um, Bustle Digital Group is a publishing company that oversees multiple brands at this point, um, including Bustle, Romper, Elite Daily, my gosh, uh, the Zoe Report. There's so many now. I can't (laughs) keep track. I should look at the board behind me. Flavor Pill, Gawker, Mike. Did I get everybody? I think I'm good then. Yeah. Uh, And we keep growing every single day. So, uh, you know, basically, you know, we're trying to kind of be the next generation of of media. And um, so far, it's so good, I would say. (laughs) Well, so talk about that. I mean, clearly, you have a lot of different brands that fall underneath the Bustle Group. What is a typical day for someone like you? So there really is no typical day. I think every day is very different. You know, where I started at Bustle being pretty much an editor, I would line edit every day. Um, You know, back then we kind of had to do all that work. Now, you know, things can change on a day-to-day basis. Uh, It's a lot of meetings. I think most of my calendar is just meetings at this point. But, you know, there are some days that we decide you know, we want to buy another brand. And what is that going to look like when it comes within our fold? And so, you know, being tasked to be able to sort of figure out a placeholder vision and everything for these types of things, like that's something that could theoretically come on my plate one day. When other days, it's, it's you know, really just kind of making sure that we're continuing to be as good as we can be across all of our brands. One thing that's pretty striking to me is how quickly Bustle Digital Group has grown. Uh, It's this big media company now. A few years ago, we were talking about it's a startup based in a Brooklyn apartment. Talk a bit about the journey from a startup to a major online media company. Totally. Yeah, it it was a lot faster than we expected to get from zero to 50 million on Bustle. And then in addition, you know, now we're at 80 million across all of our brands, monthly unique visitors, which is pretty amazing. But, you know, that really was a lot of hard work. You know, starting out, it wasn't a situation where we would come in and, you know, clock in and clock out. We, you know, the early editors that were here, we would be constantly online. We would constantly be trying to make sure that we were on top of the news, on top of the trends, doing 
doing things that were different. You know, more than anything else, we want to just occupy, occupy a space that wasn't really being occupied and finding ways to bring content to our readers that they weren't getting elsewhere. So a lot of that meant, you know, taking advantage of opportunities that um, maybe others weren't doing as much of. So, you know, if I'm using an example of the entertainment space, finding TV shows that other people weren't covering, but still had a, a big fan base. So, you know, that's something early on that we helped uh, foster more of a community around our content that way. And that's kind of like very early on the little things that you do. And now we're at this point where, you know, we would welcome a you know new brand in our fold and figure out how to make it fit in and how to uh, integrate it with our processes. Is there anything that you miss about those early days? Oh, my God. I miss so much <laughs> about those early days. Um, well, I converted my office actually to be only couches because I miss those early days where we'd work off of only couches. <laughs> so I don't have a desk. And I, when I had a desk, it just felt very weird and uncomfortable. You know, I, I miss being able to be in the same room with the entire staff. Right now, we're, you know, 300 people. My team is 100 people. It used to be that we would all fit in a room about this size and be able to brainstorm things on a day-to-day basis of, of what to do that felt new and interesting and different. And now, of course, that communication is just a little different. It's, it's happening on Slack or it's, you know, happening in smaller groups. And so we're still able to have that creative conversation, but it definitely is a different vibe than it used to be. So that that feeling of growth is, is something that I think is a big adjustment for all of us that were there at the beginning. I want to take a step back in in history before pre-bustle. You've said previously in other interviews that by the time you were 14, you knew you wanted to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. Why? Um, It was the first thing that I was good at, really good at, I guess I should say. You know, it, it was I didn't really know what other industries I could really go into. It, there was an easy way in and that we had, you know, a junior high newspaper. I joined the junior high newspaper, realized I was really good at it. And it felt like, well, why not take advantage of an opportunity of something that I'm really good at? So yeah, so I kind of fell into it. And then, you know, of course, I really liked it too. It's not just being good at something. It's also just kind of recognizing that this is something that is kind of fun and interesting and and different than, you know, having to do, um, you know, history homework and everything, which, you know, was less of an interest at the time. So it, it was pretty, it was, you know, pretty easy for me to see myself in that future. And yeah, so I never really questioned it since then. And you went originally a more traditional kind of journalistic route. You worked at Entertainment Weekly, a well-established media outlet. What was the jump like from doing that to then starting something? I think it was following the industry, more or less. You know, when I started in uh, legacy media, you know, magazines were still very central to the conversation. And, you know, I still love magazines, of course. But, um, you know, I was able to find an opportunity by jumping into digital when nobody else really wanted to. It was not very sexy. People didn't want to touch it. And so uh, our digital director at EW recognized that I was the only person who was pitching myself to write stories on the web. So he brought me on board there from the magazine. And then, you know, from there, it was just picking up on what was happening in the industry. And, you know, I recognized that I was able to get a really cool opportunity from doing something that was unconventional. So continuing to do the unconventional thing sort of became a little bit more of, uh, you know, my MO from there of figuring out like who, who needs me and what can I do? What can I do there? That's really cool and fun, you know? What piece of advice might you have for our listeners that in their own career, whether it's starting a company or taking a leap of faith uh, to do something different, like your career has been so much based on, what's a piece of advice that you might give them? I would say, you know, explore every possibility, explore every opportunity. Um, Always say yes to a conversation because you never know what that's going to lead to. 
And then, you know, in terms of just continuing to thrive in the industry too, of really, you know, avoiding complacency mm-hmm. and, and making sure that, you know, when you're comfortable, that's a really good feeling, but there's also a risk to that. And so the more that you kind of make yourself a little uncomfortable and maybe take on something that you don't necessarily think you can do, but you know you have some knowledge to do it, you know, I think that's a really good place to be in and continuing to challenge yourself. And even if, you, even if you're a lifer at a certain company and you decide that you want to stay there for the rest of your life, figuring out with, with the resources that you have, how can you continue to innovate? Because the second that you sit back and relax and, you know, start to take like margarita lunches, <laughs> which are fun every once in a while, but that's when, you know, you kind of start to, to lose touch with how to be different. When it started, all the editors were women at Bustle and they all got equity in the company. Why did that matter to you? Having ownership in what you do is huge. And, you know, I think that that comes in so many different forms. I mean, obviously, ownership comes in feeling like you control what you're doing, um, which is very important to every journalist. But at the same time, really knowing that anything that you're producing for this company, you're producing for yourself as well. This is something that you will get back and you'll get you'll get the returns as well. You're not just trying to make one person rich, like you're trying to help, you know, pad your pocketbook a little bit more. And, you know, I think that was something that we really were passionate about. And, you know, it also comes with the fact that the more you're invested in what you do, the more you think about how to make things better, the more that you're incentivized to actually not just try harder, but do interesting things and make things, you know, better at your company overall. Do you still do equity for employees? Mm -hmm. Yep. Every single full-time employee does get equity. Wow. I think one of the striking things is how much this idea of empowering women runs through the company's veins. But that doesn't just happen, right? A lot of people talk about things like that, but it's really a choice. What are the things that you've done along the way to make sure that that was part of the DNA? So I don't think that it's something that is necessarily done on purpose. You know, I don't really necessarily come in every day and think, what can I do to make people feel empowered here? Um, It's more of just integrating things that make people feel empowered into the process itself. So, you know, giving your staff a voice, I think something that very early on we wanted to make sure was that it wasn't top down. You know, as much as I could be editor in chief of this brand, I didn't want to be making all the decisions about everything. I didn't want to be setting the tone and voice totally by myself. So instead, even talking to the most junior employee and figuring out, you know, what can what do they want to see in this brand? What do what can you know, what can they give us that help us go even further? And some of our best ideas came from people all across the board. Having people have an idea and see it executed and see it executed well and knowing that that's them, that gives them this feeling of empowerment, feeling like they have a voice in the company. You know, we're also a company that makes ourselves accessible to everybody. So, you know, again, if you're a most junior employee and you wanted to have a conversation with our CEO, you could do that. That's not something that's completely barred. Um, Even as a company with 300 people, that's something that's still possible. So that, I think, has gone a really long way. But it's never something that I think we're intentionally doing necessarily. It's just more of the way we do things help people feel that empowerment. Very early on, uh, Brian Goldberg, I was reading this, the Bustle CEO and founder, uh, said something promoting Bustle that caused a pretty big backlash among a lot of kind of the women's movement feminists when he said, isn't it time for a women's publication that puts world news and politics alongside beauty tips as if women's media didn't exist before? What was your reaction when you first heard about that? And how did you guys deal with the aftermath of it? Yeah, so of course, there were things that I probably would have phrased a little differently. And we talked to Brian about (laughs) that. And Brian reached out to us to have that conversation, too. You know, I think that it was something that fostered a really good conversation within our own company. But I think more than anything else, we were really eager to just 
prove ourselves and show that, you know, despite what people might have been saying at the time, we were serious and we were serious about being here. And we really did support women and, and want and want to amplify women's voices. And, you know, I think at this point we have shown that, which is a really satisfying feeling. We'll talk about the voice you're talking about. You didn't want to have the voice just be your own voice and, and to empower other employees. But Bustle does have a pretty strong editorial viewpoint. Mm-hmm. How did that develop? Yeah. So I think that that was something that was pretty cool early on. You know, we had a mission statement at the very beginning that we forged before we had any content. Um, and then I think we we reiterated on that a little bit about three months in or so. You know, you don't have a voice on day one. It's not necessarily something that you figure out right away. But it was pretty quickly that it came up. And, and, and I think by allowing all of our writers and editors to kind of have a little bit of freedom in those early months of exploring what kind of voice they wanted to achieve and what topics they wanted to talk about, that we noticed this thing happened where we suddenly were coming together on a sort of tonality and everything that, you know, in a very unexpected way. And so, um, you know, while the mission statement was that was three months in that we wrote was different than the one one month in or less than one month in, you know, it really wasn't that different. Like we were able to kind of say, we want to support women. We want to amplify women's voices. We want to talk about the things that you guys want to talk about right now. And from there, it kind of just happened. In the end, you know, our editors sort of all came together and came up with the voice themselves. It wasn't just one person dictating, you know, not this sort of headline, not this sort of word or anything, which was really amazing to watch. How do you guys deal with politics? Politics of the news politics yeah and coverage how do you how do you for the demographic that you're you're looking to reach is how central is that how do you Kind of so pick news and choose. has always been very central to our brand. We we launched with news. That was something that was very important. We didn't want to make it seem like that, you know, as a women's lifestyle brand that we weren't paying attention to the news. So I think our approach to news has evolved quite a bit. In the early days, we were kind of like, is there any news? Like what's happening? Like, <laughs> right. you know, something happened, I think somewhere in the world, but I don't know where. Um, I remember like when Obama fell down the stairs, that was like, guys, we finally have a story to do. (laughs) Um, And now, you know, and then the election happened and I think we are covering it in a way that was, you know, keeping up with every, every single beat of what was happening, which, you know, was a lot. Now, you know, when there's news every five minutes and there's a lot of news that is meaningful and there's a lot of news that is not meaningful, Um, We really want to be careful about what we're approaching and why we're doing it. So, you know, I think that we are really eager to serve our reader in a way of, you know, helping them realize how can how can they help make the world better? And that's what a lot of people are craving is, you know, how to help the situation overall, how to help each other, not necessarily, you know, what did Trump tweet five minutes ago? Because he's going to tweet something else in five minutes. And, you know, we can't be we're not going to be on top of that all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what is really most meaningful to our readers. I'm curious about your relationship with the business side of things and how that's evolved, especially in your new role as editor-in-chief of of not just Bustle, but the whole company. What have you learned about business that you wish you knew earlier? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I think that, you know, more than anything else, I, I think everybody is trying to create a great product. And that's whether it's on the editorial end of things, on the sales end of things, or on the client side of things. And I think it's very easy for people in journalism to get confused about some of that stuff early on and think about like how this is like coming into our space a little bit too much. But at the end of the day, you know, everybody really just wants to put out the best work for their own audience. And, you know, we've done a great job with our branded team and figuring out how to do that to the best of our ability. And I think we have achieved that. And and so that's been kind of a more interesting thing to watch over time of seeing that that quality control that everybody 
has and the way that businesses are evolving too with with the way that world is changing, which has been cool to watch as as our world has, has <laughs> evolved or devolved or whatever the right thing to say is. Well, I, I'm interested because so many, I mean, in journalism and just when you look at the landscape of I mean, Politico is a 12-year-old company and so many of the competitors that came at that same time have struggled or have been bought up, some of them bought up by, by you all. How do you see the space in terms of the ability for these online companies and journalistic companies to actually be financially successful. Mm-hmm. So I think that goes in a lot of that, um, you know, the, the conversation I was having earlier about complacency and, and making sure that we are thinking about all options at every level. So, you know, I think something, for example, when we look at our traffic, we're not just looking at one um, model for success. We're not just relying on social media. We're relying on, you know, social and search and, you know, Apple News, newsletters, all different sorts of outlets we can to diversify. And, you know, on the sales side of things and on the, you know, um, uh, revenue side of things, it's the same story. It's, it's, it's kind of trying to figure out what else can we be doing to, you know, help support the great work that we do. So, you know, that's things like bringing in an experiential brand like Flavor Pill to help us start to build out that source of revenue, which has been really successful for us as well. So, you know, to tell our listeners if they don't know what Flavor Pill is. So Flavor Pill is an experiential brand and they do lots of really amazing events. They also have an accompanying site called FlavorWire. They've been really successful in doing things on, you know, a weekly basis or a annual basis. Like last year, we did our um, first annual Rule Breakers Festival in Prospect Park with Janelle Monet as the headliner, which was amazing. So, um, so yeah, it's really just thinking about, you know, not not being complacent in your space at all and, and figuring out, you know, how can I continue to diversify and and keep up? You've talked about the incredibly smart team of women who work with you. Tell us about building that team? How do you find talent and cultivate a good environment? So we are, I'm extremely proud of our team. We have so many women and I wish I could name all of them. Um, to name a few that are amazing is Lindsay Mannering, Haley Saltzman, Rose Salvatore, Amanda <laughs> Chan. I want to keep on going on, but um, all these women have done an incredible job. So I think, you know, early on, we we were looking for a very, you know, specific person early on who was eager to do something that was unknown and eager to do something that was not a guarantee. That was obviously difficult to find. But um, once we did find people that were willing to jump in, uh, they were all in. And so some of those people are still here today and, and still very passionate about the brand. But, you know, you're looking for people who are willing to hustle, willing to, you know, make sure that they're reading everything and, and keeping up on things. So they always have ideas and people that are just more or less, you know, passionate and excited about the brand itself, people who understand what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. And that's where we have really hit a sweet spot is just finding that that um, great intersection of, of passion and drive. How do you and, and maybe more broadly your team, though, avoid burnout? I mean, you talk about there, you can't be complacent. There's all this pressure to I mean, obviously, in this high you know, pressure work environment to views and search and sales. I mean, how do you yourself kind of deal with a burnout factor? And then kind of how does that filter down? Have you figured out how? <laughs> I do like three jobs, so no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the heart, especially when you're so passionate about your work. And, I, you know, it's something that kind of hit on in that BuzzFeed millennial um, burnout story of when you love what you do and you stop doing it, you feel bad for stop doing it when you're not doing it. So, um, you know, I think it's something we're very conscious of. And I used to work 24-7. You know, if something broke at 2 in the morning, I would be up and I would write it. Um, there was a period in which I was, you know, I woke up one morning and um, there was something that happened in, in 
Europe and I was the only person who was awake at, I think it was like five or 6 AM. And I wrote it up on both of our sites at the time we were at Bustle and Romper and then posted on all of our social media myself. And it was just like one of these things. I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) So, you know, in the earlier days, I think there was a little bit more of that, of just that hustling of just like, we got to get it done, get it done. You know, we have this target, we're going to do it. And, you know, now I think we've become conscious, especially since 2016, that this is, this relentless pace becomes relentless. Like we can't just say, you know, Hillary's going to get, you know, he's going to win the election and everything's going to calm down and it's not going to be breaking news anymore. So, you know, we're, we're managing all of that and, and, and listening and making sure we're giving people, you know, time off and, and, you know, if they're working overtime, giving them, you know, a breather in the morning. So we've all gotten better at that and, but we're all our own worst enemy too. So we all have to really self monitor and that's the hardest thing too. And even forcing myself to take a vacation. I was going to say, what's your like one self care thing you do a week? Um, well, I run. It's not really self-care because it's hard and exhausting, but that's sort of what I, what I do. Um, you know, I also enjoy a cocktail and going out to eat and everything. So like, obviously that's a piece of it too. That's, that's, again, this is not really self-care because it's putting <laughs> toxins into my body, but, and then working them off. But, um, but yeah, you know, you have to kind of give yourself a breather. All right. Well, one last question. Yeah. Where do you want bustle to go from here? Project five years out. Oh my gosh. I mean, there is no limit. That's the exciting thing. You know, I I think that what I want more than anyone else is for more people to really know and understand the brand. And, you know, six years in, we have that, but we're still working on that. You know, it's not like we're still not as identifiable as something like a glamour or Vanity Fair or something. You know, people, some people love us and some people say, oh, what's that? I've never heard of that. And what I really want is for people to really see what we're doing and understand the impact that we're making on women's lives and and be eager to join that that journey that we're taking. So I'm hoping that more people will just know Bustle for what it is and, and realize how amazing it is. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Women Rule is produced by Zach Stanton. Our booker is Jessica Andrews. Dave Shaw is the executive producer of Political Audio. A special thanks to Robert Ald for recording help in New York. The show is made in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at apalmerdc. You can also join the Women Rule community by texting WOMEN to 66866.